Hello, and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. I'm Rupert Watson, Head of Asset Allocation in Europe. Our thoughts are with the people impacted by the crisis in Ukraine. Today, we'll be discussing the outlook for bond markets, and especially the Fed, in light of recent developments. We'll cover rates, the risks of stagflation and recession, as well as summarize our views on global markets overall. As you'll be aware, central bankers in many parts of the world have moved towards tightening monetary policy in response to elevated inflation and ongoing economic strength post the pandemic. The Fed has signaled it is likely to hike rates half a percent at its next meeting, or indeed meetings, and bond markets have sold off sharply. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Lefkowitz, who is fixed income portfolio manager in the US in our investment solutions business. And I'm going to be asking whether she thinks the risk to current market pricing is to the upside or downside. Hi, Rupert. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, I'm fairly new on the scene at Mercer, but I've spent my career thus far on the buy side of the market, quietly trading and running interest rate risk across global bond markets. So I feel somewhat qualified to opine on this topic. Perfectly. And of course, it's it's a nice, easy topic. What's the Fed going to do? So, <laughs> so we'll see. Now, now, as you know, you know, we've seen a huge sell-off, particularly in the front end of the bond market uh, in the last few weeks. And the Fed itself has been hinting that it might start to raise interest rates uh, at a 50 basis point clip, the next meeting, perhaps a bit after that. Do you think markets have got ahead of themselves? Uh, do you think it's about right? Or do you think there's much, much further to go? Well, I think you're you're correct to point out that the bond markets have significantly raised interest rates in the front end um, in shorter maturity bonds. And, and that is indicative of a central bank that is expected to raise rates quite rapidly and significantly this year. In March, the FOMC provided the market with um, satisfaction in liftoff. They raised rates 25 basis points. And for the remainder of the year, right now, the market expects for interest rates to be raised nine times or nine increments of 25 basis points, making the new target Fed funds rate 225 to 250. To your question around, is this overdone or overpriced and where? I think shorter maturity bonds have reacted and priced this phenomenon in for rate hikes. What I think is the puzzle here, and that we certainly should expect more chatter to come, is really the relative value between short and interest rates and, say, two-year notes. Before, before getting, Erin, I'm just going to stop you there because I think you, sure. chickened, out, I think you chickened out of answering the question. Uh, um, which is, which is, do you so, so so do you think you know the market is pricing in a peak somewhere near three percent perhaps next year? Do, do you think the Fed will get there, or do you think they'll go need to go further? I think that that's overdone. I, I think that the market is too focused on interest rate heights and not as focused on other ways of tightening monetary policy, which could include balance sheet normalization or the pivot to sell assets that the Fed has previously bought during QE. Okay, okay. Well, I suppose rather than selling them more likely, presumably just letting them run off, which sort of has the same same impact. Um, but, but why? Because my, my view is that the Fed will have to go further. I, I'm of the view that labor markets are exceptionally tight in the US 
um, uh, unemployment rates low, wage growth rising rapidly, inflation well above target, and so on, that the Fed will have to go, you know, well above three. What 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 am I missing? Do you think? I think what's missing that that you're not pointing to, and that literally what's missing is term premium in the market right now. Why would you buy a ten-year maturity bond? that's yielding the same amount as a two-year maturity bond. And where is the investor value? And so as markets react to this, I think the pressure is on, do so two things can happen. Do two-year rates go lower or do longer maturity bonds, do interest rates in the long end of the curve, do they rise? If they rise, then that puts pressure on risk assets in my opinion. And if they fall, I think that that is the market saying the central banks will not hike as much as expected. So I believe that the, the, the reintroduction of term premium is essential to move forward with the Fed's mandate of, of growth and interest rate control or their dual mandate of inflation and interest rate control. So the longer yields will go up and that is what will tighten financial conditions uh, and and slow the economy. Longer yields will go up relative to shorter yeah. yields. And then, do you think that causes a problem for credit um, and and other risk assets? Absolutely. I think that that then puts a lot of pressure on credit because we have a situation here where inflation pressures or inflation expectation pressures are expected to mitigate somewhat. And as we come off not only a geopolitical risk, but base effect inflations as that mitigates and nominal interest rates rise potentially in the long end, the pressure then is in real rates. The real rate of interest will rise and that does put pressure on risk markets and then it's more expensive to borrow money. Right now we've seen, and you mentioned extreme volatility so far this year and in recent weeks, that volatility has mostly been seen in interest rate markets we haven't seen as much volatility in equity markets. So the the fear here is that this starts to translate from interest rate risk to credit risk. I, I sense, I sense, I can, I know I'm talking to someone who who specializes in uh, uh, bond markets because it's sounding like you're miserable on equities. Bond, bond people are always <laughs> miserable. Um, it's true. I, we're very dismal. <laughs> I used to, I used to be a bond person myself, but then uh, I found it too miserable. So I I, I moved much more, uh, much more, much more multi-asset. Um, so, uh, but but some people are saying that these moves in 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 interest rates, the Fed this year, next year, perhaps, will almost necessarily lead to a recession. That the Fed is behind the curve, will have to take policy to the sort of level that will push growth quite low, and that inevitably leads to a, a recession at some point, maybe end of 23, 24. Did you see, I mean, do you think that the recession is likely or, or possible, or, or do you think the Fed will be able to manage a soft landing? I think that I'm going to give a very stereotypical bond person answer and say there's a non-zero probability of a recession in the next couple of years. That's a, that's a consultant answer, uh, non, <laughs> non-zero. Um, I, I do believe that you made a great, your, your comment about multi-assets. This is, I think, where the bright spot is really in markets. And, and I want to pivot to broader global markets in a minute and get your view there. 
multi-assets. So what do you do when interest rates are rising? Credit is under pressure and potentially equities are under pressure and vulnerable here. What, what asset classes can help you out? Where do you hide? And I think that we can look across the pond, um, me being in Boston, I, I would look to you in, in London and ask, you know, you're leading the charge on this. The, the Bank of England has already begun their hiking cycle. Their term premium has has somewhat disappeared. They are experiencing phenomenons with the labor market. Can we learn any lessons? What's going on there? And what are some asset classes that you think are opportunistic right now? Well, well, just, just on the sort of what the central banks are likely to do, I think the UK economy is in a pretty different place from the US economy. So the US economy, I think, is clearly overheated and the Fed is now trying to catch up, which it will do, you know, with a you know a few 50s. Um, and then they're all, you know, they're, they're, they're quite close to neutral um, quite, quite quickly. Um, the Bank of England, the economic recovery is that much slower than the US. Um, and I think it's reasonable to suppose that inflation will be falling back to target uh, towards the second half of next year. Uh, also, there are some things that are slowing the UK economy that aren't going to be slowing the US economy this year. Firstly, we've got some fiscal tightening in the in in the US, in the UK. We're also that much closer to what's going on in Ukraine, and in particular, energy prices, natural gas prices, pushing upward pressure, obviously on 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 anyone that uses gas, but also anyone that uses electricity as well. Uh, so I think uh, I, I think the UK is going to be slowing. Um, uh, in a way that the US perhaps won't be slowing. And therefore, I think that allows the Bank of England a lot more leeway than the Fed has um, to be much more cautious and much and much slower in terms of tightening policy. I think they will continue to tighten policy. Um, but if they start to see you know, PMIs falling below 50, signs of flat or negative growth, then they'll, they can afford to wait a few meetings, a few quarters even, uh, if necessary. So the Bank of England is priced to hike rates uh, in a series of meetings this year and early next year up to 2% or even a bit higher. I wouldn't be surprised if they pause there. Um, you mentioned in the US, little risk premium further out the curve. Uh, I think that's I think that's very much the case in the bank in the UK's case. Um, and so I don't think the Bank of England pausing at say one and a half percent means we get a big bond market rally in the UK. The eurozone is in an interesting position because its labour market isn't overheating, and I think the eurozone economy is doing reasonably well. It's obviously got a big shock from from natural gas prices. But I think ultimately the ECB uh, will be raising interest rates uh, relatively slowly, aiming to get interest rates up to, shall we say, 1% over the next uh, couple of years. But there's little risk of overheating. And of course, in the Eurozone, somewhat higher inflation and taking interest away from being negative uh, is good news um, and not and not bad news. I, I would say it sounds a bit like both of us um, are, think our respective central banks are maybe priced a little too fast. I think I, my view is in the ECB, it's about right. Um, although I'm, I'd be surprised if they hike to zero this year, um, but that basically over the next year, I think it's about right. Slightly slower mm. start. Um, but once they move, I think you get a series of uh, uh, 25, 25 rates, uh, uh, hikes, 25 basis points every quarter. Um, Bank of England, I think it's a bit aggressive. At least in the in the in the initial move, I think ultimately we head higher. 
um, and, and to sort of roughly where is priced or even a bit higher than that, um, but not necessarily in one move. Um, and then in the US, um, uh, I'm certainly more bearish than you. Um, and I think the Fed will be above 3% uh, at some point next year. Uh, and we'll have to stay there for, 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 for a while. You did mention that in inflationary pressures in in the in the eurozone are slightly different and and could be abating. However, you also mentioned that there are um, energy price pressures coming that are specific to the eurozone that the U.S. might not experience uh, to the to as much of an extent. That to me smells a little bit like if you have energy price inflation, that's a big component of inflation expectations in the short term. And that with slowing growth, higher inflation expectations, that does point to the stagflation scenario. Do you think that there's, how big is the risk right now in Europe of of a stagflation situation? I would think that in terms of the mathematical numbers, if you say stagflation is a quarter or two of negative growth, and high inflation, yeah, and yet then I think there probably is a, a reasonably high risk in much of Europe of, of, of that happening this year. But in terms of a sort of a, a broader stagflationary feel, so a, a period of time, a year, two of flat or negative growth and elevated inflation, I think that's unlikely, not, 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 you know, it's not impossible, but a reasonably low risk. Because I think uh, what, what would push economies into negative growth this year is just a very sharp jump in, in, in energy prices and other commodity prices, which causes the weak growth. But then at some point that gets relieved next year. And I think the one thing that is getting not enough attention, in my, in my opinion, is that a lot of these moves, at least in some commodity markets, and in particular, European natural gas and anything related to that, are temporary in nature. European natural gas prices are five, ten times higher than they have been ever, 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 ever. Now, I don't know when they're going to fall because I don't know what's going to happen uh, in Ukraine uh, and what impact that will have on natural gas supplies. Uh, there's no point trying to pretend one t- I do have a view on that. But I think that at some point, uh, natural gas prices will fall. Household energy bills will fall. Used car prices that have jumped this year and last year will fall in absolute return, in absolute terms. I know many of our US listeners won't be thinking about heading to Southern Europe on holiday this year. Uh, everyone in, in, in the UK is thinking about heading on holiday to Southern Europe. So we're going to see a boom in tourism this year. Um, and so I think that overall, uh, growth um, overall will hold up. So we won't see stagflation. Uh, but of course, there is a risk for a quarter. And it's certainly a market narrative, but I, but I, I don't fear it too much. That's fair. When you think about growth, too, what is the implication, as you mentioned before, global growth dependence on Chinese growth and and China market um, growth projections? They are easing policy. They are cutting rates. And and how does that play into the global growth story? Because it's not just an energy story. You can look through energy, but can you- Sorry, in China? China. In China. Well, I mean, China is, is, I mean, most of the world is in the same sort of place. So most of the world 
uh, is growing is growing strong strongly this year as a result of the sort of um, uh, uh, as we learn to live with COVID, tourism returning to normal and things like that. So most places are seeing strong growth uh, even after the Ukraine shock. Um, and uh, and central banks tightening policy. Uh, China is in the exact opposite position. Uh, it's continuing to pursue its zero uh, policy, and so that in any region, including Shanghai, which is obviously quite quite a big place, uh, when there's an outbreak, they they they, they shut up shop for a period uh, to try to wipe it out, and therefore they are having these rolling lockdowns, regional lockdowns, uh, and as long as they keep with their, their, their zero policy, which I think they will, um, then we're going to see pretty, um, uh, uh, we're going to see pretty uh, soft growth this year. And as a result, the Chinese policymakers will be loosening policy. Um, and I think, you know, and they've got ongoing problems in property and a few other things. So I think we're going to see looser China policy. And I think at the end of this call, I'm just going to summarize on our views on markets overall. Um, uh, 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 but, but I think overall it's quite supportive for Chinese equities. Now, given what's going on in Eastern Europe, I think it would be remiss of us not to talk briefly about, about Ukraine. And of course, it is, you know, on, on an underlying, you know, it is a it is a human catastrophe. And you, you know, that, that that's the main thing about it. But you know, we're here to to talk about the the the, the market implications. I mean, the impact on the European economy is quite large because of European natural gas prices. But of course, US natural gas prices haven't gone up. Uh, and of course, the US is a, is an energy exporter uh, at the margin, or at least reasonably flat. Uh, a lot of wheat uh, is produced in the US uh, and so on. Um, do, do you think it'll have much impact on the, on the US economy uh, and, 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 and financial markets? I think that the initial energy price shock had a significant impact on inflation expectations in the U.S. to start, and that helped support lower volatility in risky assets. What I mean by that is a spike in oil directly feeds through to inflation expectations in the near term. When those move higher, the move in two-year interest rates couldn't keep pace. And therefore, the real level of borrowing in the U.S. has remained deeply negative. So that's supportive of risk assets. And that, I think, is playing into the stability we've seen in equity volatility. As we move out of the of, of a constrained environment and, and that energy price shock and potentially a more stable geopolitical situation, you'll see a cooling of those expectations. And that could re-trigger a move higher in the real interest rate. So I believe equity markets and credit markets are, are going to be vulnerable to a, to a move in that in the U.S. So I think that okay. that's the risk here coming out of a geopolitical tension. Okay, well, thank you for that. I think I'm just going to end this by summarizing our view on the global economy uh, and, and markets. Um, now, our view on the global economy has been quite constructive for a while. Uh, we've been of the view that consumption should be well supported uh, as economies return to normal. Businesses should be investing uh, at a pretty decent pace, uh, favourable financial conditions. Everyone wants to spend on tech um, and also uh, investment to uh, ease supply chain challenges in various parts of the world. Um, we have been worried about, about rising wage growth, particularly in the US, and somewhat higher inflation generally. 
Now, our, our view the Ukraine, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I think challenges our outlook, but I don't think it changes our outlook which is one of decent economic growth, uh, an overheating US economy, um, but a not, not an overheating uh, European economy, Japanese economy, or global economy as a whole. Um, one where there are uh, temporary inflation pressures um, from, from supply challenges, but also this, this demand-led inflation in the US by labor markets. So when we pull it all together, we continue to think growth will be will be good. Um, the, 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 the Russian invasion leads to quite a hit to European growth, but European growth would have been spectacular this year. Instead, will just be decent. In terms of financial markets, uh, we are neutral-ish on equities, possibly at the margin, turning less optimistic on equities. Uh, it appears that there's quite a lot of Good news priced in. Markets seem to be uh, ignoring both the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, and also the Federal Reserve moving into a much more uh, hostile, hawkish direction um, uh, and with inflation remaining pretty high, wage growth, inflation expectations also elevated. Um, So I'd say we're definitely moving somewhat, uh, well, less positive equities and possibly uh, in a slightly bearish direction of equities, um, but we'll see how things pan out. In terms of credit, um, uh, I think decent economic growth means low defaults, uh, low downgrades. Um, but there again, the same worries about what the Fed's going to do and what impact that might have on credit uh, is also applicable to um, uh, credit markets as well. Now, in terms of bond markets, we have been pretty bearish bonds um, for the last couple of years. And we're getting slightly less bearish now, as you might imagine. And indeed, in our conversation, Aaron, there are, there are different views across the uh, across the organisation. Uh, we all, when when interest rates, when bond yields were at you know multi year lows, I think we were all united that they're they're going higher. Now they've already moved higher, and as you say, pricing in quite a lot already uh, in in the US. Um, there's a bit more two way risk. Uh, and I would say our view is for still for somewhat higher uh, bond yields, but not 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 necessarily uh, as bearish as we were. Uh, and of course, the biggest risk to everything I would say is the speed the Fed goes, which is all to do really with the, the labour market, wages, inflation, inflation expectations, and of course, what happens in in, in Ukraine, um, where our thoughts firstly go to you know to to, to, to all the people uh, impacted by that in Ukraine, um, but that's obviously a you know a risk that is out there. So I'm going to bring this to a close now. I'd like to start by thanking Aaron for joining me today and for sharing your thoughts, and to the listeners for joining us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen, and please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to contact us or speak to a Mercer representative, please email ctci at mercer.com, ctci at mercer.com. Many thanks. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Merce's opinions. (laughs) 